0: Okay, three, two, one, oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. this is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 258, and I hope everybody's doing well, I just hope you're doing so well up there. Um, I had kind of a big milestone yesterday, I just want to give a big thank you actually, I got my own car insurance for the first time in my entire life. I got off my dad's plan and got my own car insurance. And I just want to say thank you because whether you watch on YouTube or you listen on iTunes or SoundCloud, your support makes that possible. And it means a lot to me. It was just a big moment. I'm like, wow, I got the title, you know, the not the title, the-, the stupid policy. And I was like, man, I-, I just can't, this is cool. It's a big moment for me. And I just was so grateful. I wanted to say thank you. I feel like people in my Business don't say that enough. And I just want to say, you know, you guys make moments like that possible for me. And I'm so, so, so very grateful. Uh, The big news of today, the very biggest news of today, obviously, is Patrick Mahomes. Now, I was planning to record yesterday. But then this massive Patrick Mahomes contract story came out. And uh, instead of rushing out to say something, um, I decided to kind of wait, sit on it gather all the information. Even when all the facts came out, I was like, I'm still going to wait a little bit longer to make sure there's nothing else that's going to trickle out over time. And uh, there were actually a lot of conflicting reports when Patrick Mahomes' contract was announced. It was kind of a bit frustrating. You know, there was stuff like, maybe it's a percentage of the salary cap, maybe this, maybe that. And so I waited and I waited. And now officially, here are the details. Patrick Mahomes has signed a 10-year contract extension. He's now under contract for the next 12 years. Uh, the contract is worth $450 million. Now, it could be up to $503 million. It's $140 million guaranteed if he gets hurt. I believe that means if he has to retire early because of an injury. And it's the biggest contract in NFL history as well as the biggest contract in sports history. Now, you know, first of all, it's obviously a boatload of money. We'll get into whether I think it's a good move or not. Uh, but there's that number five oh three million. You keep hearing five hundred and three million. I keep hearing that. Here's how you get there. So he was already under contract for two more years and twenty seven million dollars. Plus you add the four hundred and fifty million dollar extension. That's a total of four hundred and seventy seven. Not to mention his team added a twenty five million dollar, well, really twenty five dollars, twenty five million dollars worth of incentives. So over the next years he's got a bunch of incentives he can hit uh you know hitting benchmarks like going to the afc championship game having certain stats and start start amounts and stuff like that so basically if he wins and does well he'll make even more money and you go, okay 27 million plus 450 plus 25 that all adds up to 503 million dollars just over half a billion dollars the potential earnings for patrick mahomes over the course of this career um the contract actually makes sense to me. You know, If you want the best, you've got to pay for the best. Good things are expensive. That's kind of a reality of life. If you want the best steak, you're going to pay a premium. If you want the best television or the best seat at a concert, you pay a premium for quality. And Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. So I totally understand why he would get the biggest contract in the NFL. I don't think it's that controversial to say he's the very best. Now, people keep asking me, how does the Patrick Mahomes contract impact Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback? And I don't believe it should. I don't believe that Patrick Mahomes' money should really have any impact on Dak Prescott because Dak Prescott and Patrick Mahomes don't even belong in the same conversation. Patrick Mahomes is a much, much, one more, much better quarterback they're in different galaxies. You know, I live in the Portland, Oregon area. And if someone went up to me and said, hey, the weather in Texas is hot. I'd say, okay, that's not really relevant to anything. Patrick Mahomes' contract and Dak Prescott's contract have no relevance to each other. I just don't understand. Yeah, they play the same position, but the weather in Portland and the weather, it's both weather, whether it's Texas or Portland, Oregon, but they're, they're not really related to each other. And I just, I go back to, It's a different conversation. Patrick Mahomes is in a completely different galaxy than Dak Prescott as a quarterback. Now, this contract did do a couple things for the Kansas City Chiefs. Number one, this actually did not impact their salary cap in the short term. It's kind of crazy. You still got to finish out the contract he's already on. He's got two years left, $27 million on the deal he's already on. Plus, when the extension does eventually kick in, the... Really aggressively high amounts of money. The yearly, like $50 million a year, they don't kick in until later in the contract. The amounts of money get progressively larger over time. You can look at the overall number, but you have to factor in, there's going to be an expected raise in salary cap in the next couple of years because the NFL is going to make new TV deals, bring in a lot more revenue to the league. And so the deal makes sense when you factor in basically inflation costs uh, and the future of the league. Now, it is rare to see a guy get a 10-year deal. I, I can't imagine the last time, I can't remember the last time I saw an NFL player sign a deal this long. And it's a ton of money, but number one, he deserves it. And number two, again, it's very possible that by the time Pat Mahomes has paid those big amounts in a couple of years, it could seem a lot less crazy to pay a quarterback $45, $50 million. The quarterback market, for better or worse, keeps going up and up and up. It's an arms race, or maybe a better word is a, it's a war of escalation. But you got to consider Patrick Mahomes is only 24 years old. He's already won a Super Bowl. He's already been the league MVP. There's a bright future ahead for Patrick Mahomes, and I just think the, G- the deal's justified. The deal makes sense to me. Now, another thing the deal does is this. It gives the Chiefs stability after Andy Reid. The question is, will the Chiefs head coach Andy Reid still be there 10 years from now? I I don't know that I'm confident he will be. If he retires, they're still going to have Patrick Mahomes and people are going to want to work with him. Coaches and players. Good coaches are going to be attracted to Kansas City. Good players are going to want to be there, especially veteran players who've already been paid. A guy on year six or seven who's made a lot of money will take a pay cut to play with Patrick Mahomes and win. If you could have $11 million to play with Jared Goff and have Jared Goff throw you the ball or $7 million to play with Pat Mahomes, I don't know. I think I'd take the quality of life. Maybe $7 million is a little less than eleven, But man, you're going to get a lot better of an opportunity and a lot better of a Quality of life playing with Patrick Mahomes. I think that's going to happen a lot more than anybody's giving it credit. It's going to happen a lot. People are going to say, I'm willing to take a pay cut to go play with Mahomes. And veterans who want to win, guys who still haven't won a Super Bowl, that's on their bucket list and they want that before they retire, who've already made their money, they're going to want to play in Kansas City with the best quarterback in the NFL. That's how that works. I, I don't know, man. You know, the structure of the contract is interesting because it makes it hard for the Chiefs to cut Patrick Mahomes. Basically, his contract guarantees two years in advance. It's layers to it. Every two, It's kind of like a rolling guarantee where, you know, one example is that if he's on the roster the third day of the league year in 2021, then on that day, that third day of the league year in 2021, his 2023 contract will fully guarantee... Or later in 2027, his 2028, the next year's contract is going to fully guarantee. So basically, if you cut Patrick Mahomes, you're going to have to still pay him for years in the future. So it's going to be hard to get rid of Patrick Mahomes, for better or worse. So what that does is it protects Patrick Mahomes. And I know these are wild, massive numbers when you look at it in today's context. But try to put your brain eight years in the future. I think they're predicting where the market's going to go. And if you do that, this actually might be a bargain a couple years down the road. Patrick Mahomes is the best of the best. Every new quarterback contract breaks records. It's not surprising to me at all that he would sign a contract, break a bunch of records, and blow people away. Honestly, I feel like we should have seen this coming. Of course he was going to sign this crazy, massive, ridiculous contract. And actually, when you think about it, Little bit deeper, it's not even that, quote, ridiculous. Another thing I keep hearing is that people say this puts more pressure on Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's now the face of the league. What do you mean now? As if suddenly he's been thrust into this position. He's now immediately the face of the league. He's been the face of the league. He's 24 years old. He loves football. He's having fun. He doesn't care what you think. There's no pressure on Patrick Mahomes. He's getting paid to do what he loves in the prime of his life. Again, I go back to this pressure narrative. Where is this coming from? Are you going to put more pressure on him? I don't think he puts more pressure on himself, and I don't think he feels more pressure. Again, he's enjoying the journey, getting paid to do what he loves, and he's a guy that has thick skin and doesn't care about this kind of stuff. I I just don't buy into the narrative that this is suddenly going to add a bunch of pressure on to Patrick Mahomes. I don't buy into it. I don't think that's who he is, and it doesn't really make any sense other than to say, well, it would put a lot of pressure on me. Oh, I'm scared. When you get a big opportunity, I, I guess some people get nervous and get scared, and that feels like they've got get like a bunch of pressure on him. I don't know that that's what's happening here with Patrick Mahomes. I think people are assuming that, and they might apply more pressure to him, but I don't think he feels any more pressure today than he did yesterday. He's just going to live his life. And now living his life and doing his job is going to make him massively more money than it was going to before. But actually, also think about this. His contract was always going to be up. At some point, you knew he was going to make more money. His mindset doesn't change. Oh, now I got the money and more pressure to me. No, he always knew this day was going to come. I think it just came at a time that nobody was expecting it to come. People are having this narrative because they didn't expect it. They're surprised. Patrick Mahomes isn't surprised, and I don't think he's feeling pressure any more today than he was two days ago. Okay, I want to shift gears to Cam Newton. I am so excited to watch Cam Newton this year in a New England Patriots uniform. I just, I, I mean, here's what I'm rooting for. I, I I cannot wait because I really want to see Cam Newton have an awesome comeback story. I would love it. If he won the NFL comeback player of the year, you know, after the 2015 season, during that 2015 season, he won the NFL MVP, got to the Super Bowl, didn't win, but made it to a Super Bowl and then kind of fell into a bit of a, I don't know how do you even put it. Like in 2016, he went six and 10 in 2017, they made the playoffs, but they lost in the wildcard round in 2018. He went seven and nine. And then last year in 2019, Cam played in two games. Didn't throw a touchdown, had an interception. And he never really got back to form from that MVP season. After that MVP year, he never really got back to that same high he was in that one time. I I really would love to see Cam get back into form. A lot of people are doubting Cam. And I I will admit, I've even been one of those people. I've been like, ah, you know, I don't don't know that we're going to see a lot from Cam. He's been doubted. And even his old team, the Carolina Panthers, they discarded him. Doubted. Discarded. And, man, I just hope he wins Comeback Player of the Year. I think it would be so cool. If he has a great year, then a whole lot of Cam Newton fans are going to feel very, very vindicated. And I will not blame them at all. In fact, I'll be happy for them. The people that have been ride or die for Cam... And I've believed in him from day one. If Cam goes to the Patriots, does very well and makes the playoffs, they're going to be proven right. Their belief in Cam over all these years is going to be proven right. And I'd be so happy for those people. And Cam is hungry. Go look at his Instagram. The dude is very eager to prove himself. Now, I still haven't looked at his film yet. I don't really—I'll look at the film at some point, try to determine where he's at as a player based on what we saw last time. But, man, the stage is set. Cam is going to have an opportunity here to have a really, really cool comeback story. And I'm all in. I would love it. I am rooting for Cam Newton. I think maybe for the first time in my entire career. I want to see Cam Newton do well. I think that's a great story. It'd be awesome. And uh, I, I, I just—man, I want it to happen. Now, we need to ask the question, though, what if Cam does have a great year? Wins comeback player of the year, makes the playoffs with the Patriots, just balls out and plays phenomenal. If he does that, I don't know that he's going to necessarily stay in New England. I think that's the assumption, but I'm not sure the Patriots would want to pay him. Part of why the Patriots found him so appealing when they brought him in was because his contract was really cheap. And Bill Belichick loves finding a bargain. Loves a good deal. That's why the Patriots drafted a guy named Kyle Duggar at the beginning of the second round. A guy you've never heard of. He plays a, he plays safety. No one was talking about Kyle Duggar being a potential second round pick. I had never Heard of the guy before, and maybe that's on me for being an idiot, not paying close enough attention, but he drafted a guy from Lenore Ryan University. I have never heard of that place. And Bill Belichick said, hey, this guy, probably a first round pick we can get in the second round. First round talent, second round draft pick. Bill Belichick loves to do that kind of move where he's like, hey, I'm going to do something nobody expects and fleece the rest of the entire league. You think people thought they could get Cam Newton as cheap as the Patriots did? I certainly did not think Cam was going to sign a deal worth like $1.1 million with another couple million worth of guarantee, like the worth of, what am I saying, incentives? Now think about this. If Cam has a great year, Bill Belichick is not going to change. He doesn't like and doesn't want to pay people big money. Bill, Bill Belichick never paid Tom Brady. When was Tom Brady having the Patrick Mahomes moment? We're talking about how Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, and he's being paid like it. He got a record-breaking deal, the biggest in sports history. And when I watched Patrick Mahomes get his contract, it kind of hit me like a wave. I realized, man, the Patriots always got a bargain on Tom Brady, and that was part of the appeal of Tom Brady to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick doesn't want to pay people, and he certainly doesn't want to pay people a lot of money. And Cam has talked about this whole journey for him is partly about getting respect. I don't think it's more about I don't think it's all about the money for Cam. I really don't. I think Cam wants to be respected, but at some point part of being respected is pay me like I deserve. And if Cam has a great year, I don't think the Patriots are going to want to pay him and I think he's going to get more money or even if they want to pay him, he's going to get more money other places. If Cam balls out and is phenomenal, So I believe no matter what happens, if Cam Newton's bad, it's one and done for him in New England. But even if Cam Newton's phenomenal, this is going to be his one and only year with the New England Patriots. I got to say, though, I hope he's amazing. I hope Cam is phenomenal. Again, I want to see him win. Comeback player of the year. Ball out. Make the playoffs. Earn a massive contract with this next team. I think that would be so, so cool. Oh, the next story, guys. Um, Oh, my. I want to talk directly to Cincinnati Bengals fans. Um, I'm going to talk about two stories. One is how I believe that Joe Burrow has been and really is being held back by his team. And we'll get to that in a minute. But number one, I want to say I'm concerned about the Bengals. And... Bengals fans, the Bengals fan base does not want to hear anything negative or any concern about their team. Bengals fans want to believe that their team's going to do well. And if they can interpret any story positively or even brush it aside and brush it under the rug, they're going to do that because Bengals fans don't want to hear negative stuff about their team. And I don't blame them. I get it. They want their team to win. They want to have hope. They're they're desperate for it. And they want things to be good. I think they're in denial. I think that's harsh. I also think it's true. Now, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe what I'm about to say is idiotic and stupid. And if and I'm, I'm certainly going to hear about that from Bengals fans. I'm going to get called an idiot here by loyal Bengals fans. But I think it's more because they want what I'm about to say to be wrong rather than, cause, rather than because they know what I'm about to say is wrong. It's what they want, not necessarily what's true. Either way, there are two stories to me that are telling about the Bengals. They're telling, and for me, they're concerning. Number one is, you ever heard of Trey Waynes? Why hasn't cornerback Trey Wayne's been signed yet? He agreed to a three-year, $42 million deal in free agency with the Bengals. Yet he hasn't actually been given the piece of paper. Hasn't been paid. Hasn't signed a legally binding contract. He moved his family to Cincinnati. He's there in the city ready to go. But the Bengals haven't paid him. And they're waiting to give him the paper to sign until he can take a physical with the team doctors. And it's very weird. I have to ask, do they not have the money to pay him? Do they need revenue from other stuff before they can pay Trey Waynes? I don't know what's going on. Or maybe they're like, well, if we don't have a season because of COVID-19, we're not going to pay this guy at all. Screw him. He's, He's by the wayside. And I understand that COVID-19 is a roadblock where it's going to be harder to bring guys in. But you notice that Cam Newton very quickly had a physical in New England and made it happen. Every other team has already signed their players, done a physical, brought them in, and paid them money. Yet Trey Waynes is in limbo waiting for a physical because the Bengals aren't doing anything. They're not moving on it. He can't even work out because if he does work out and he gets hurt then he won't pass a physical, and he won't get his contract. Trey Waynes is in limbo, not able to do anything. He's in Cincinnati just waiting, waiting on his, quote, new team who's treating him very badly to make something happen. It's a bizarre situation where Trey Waynes has just kind of been hung out to dry. Now, here's the second story. A story came out where the headline roughly was that the Bengals have asked Joe Burrow to slow down in meetings because he's way too far ahead. They want him to slow down. They want their rookie quarterback to slow down in meetings because he's too far ahead. And Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, even said, they tell him, hold on, I'll answer that question in a couple days. We're not there yet. And my first reaction when I heard that was, oh, no the Bengals can't keep up with Joe Burrow. I mean, this is is not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. Now, some people say, now let me clarify, Bengals fans say that, you know, they're just slowing things down so that other rookies can keep up. And maybe that's true. But even if that is true, you don't tell a guy like Joe Burrow, hold on. I'll answer your question in a couple days. At the very least, you say, hey, Joe, let's talk privately and we'll answer your questions. You don't leave them hanging. Now, the question needs to be asked, who put this story out there? I don't know that it was the Bengals. Maybe it was the Bengals. Maybe they thought they were bragging about how smart their quarterback is. But it's kind of weird because it really makes it sound like the Bengals coaching staff can't keep up with a rookie quarterback. And they can't answer his questions. Or maybe did Joe Burrow put the story out there? Is Joe Burrow the reason we're hearing about this? Is Joe Burrow starting to realize the frustrations of playing for the Cincinnati Bengals? His teammates aren't getting paid. Trey Waynes has not been paid. Can't even get a physical. Even though he's in the city, he's there waiting, ready to go. Joe Burrow's teammates are not answering his questions. What am I saying? His coaches are not answering his questions. He's got questions about the offense, and the coach is saying, We'll talk about that in a couple days. So maybe Joe Burrow put this out to signal that there were issues ahead for the Bengals. Or maybe he just vented to the wrong person who leaked it to the media. Now, I'm going to tell a story. My dad told me to tell the story. We were talking about this today earlier. And my dad says this is his favorite story about me as an athlete. I transferred high schools when my sophomore year. Right after my sophomore year, I moved to a new high school on the other side of the river. And I got the playbook on a Tuesday. And Thursday was the day we were shipping out to go to team camp at Oregon State. We all get on a bus, our entire team goes. And we go scrimmage a bunch of teams at Oregon State University and stay in the dorms for a week. And I, as a quarterback, I knew I was not the biggest. I was not the fastest. I didn't have the strongest arm. But I knew I could study the hardest and make sure That I knew the playbook. My strength was my ability to know the playbook. That's what I got by with. I was accurate, had good footwork, and I knew the playbook. And in two days, Tuesday, Wednesday, bam, Thursday, I'd already memorized the entire playbook I was given. I had access to the film, and I had access to the playbook. And at OSU camp in a scrimmage, it was the end of a camp tournament where you're having a bunch of scrimmages to see who wins the entire camp. And at the end of the championship game, we we had a first of all, we had a play called burst. Burst was a bubble screen, and we needed a big play at the end of this scrimmage. And I said, Hey coach, can we run burst sucker? I think it'd be good in this moment. And my coach looks at me and goes, How do you know what burst sucker is? We haven't it's not in the playbook we gave you. Now burst sucker burst sucker was a bubble screen and go where the outside receiver would fake like he was blocking for the bubble, then release and go vertical. Usually it was wide open, kind of a double move. And I saw it on film, and the name of the play, Burst Sucker, was in the tags on huddle. And I went, oh, that's a play in the playbook. Okay. I said, I saw it on film. My coach said, all right. said, we ran it. Touchdown. Won the entire Oregon State Championship. Won the scrimmage. I loved the playback. I loved the nerdy side of football. That's why I love the game of football. And you can't limit a guy who loves the nerdy side, the playbook. You can't limit a guy like that, someone who's learning and cares about that. In college football, I ran into coaches who didn't like that side. Uh, I had an offensive coordinator in college who seemed bothered by nerdy football questions. He didn't want to talk about that stuff. He, didn't, he felt like, I think, threatened or something weird was going on where he didn't like having conversations about the game. When I said, hey, why do you, what's the running back doing on this play? He's, he needs to be in pass, bro. But if we do that, we're out, man, we need this. And he often didn't have answers for me. I was so frustrated because I'm like, dude, I have a question. Your, your scheme for pass protection doesn't make any sense. It happened all the time. And I wouldn't get answers. So Joe Burrow was like I was, but times a thousand. Joe Burrow is way, he's on another level. And I can only imagine that Joe Burrow feels held back and frustrated I get You got to go at the pace of the other guys. I totally understand that. But again, if you got to slow down for the other rookies, then Joe Burrow and the coaches need to meet one-on-one and answer his questions. If you're a quarterback who's a rookie, is way ahead, and he wants to know the playbook, answer the questions. I've never heard a story like this where a coach told a rookie QB, hey, slow down. We're not ready for you to be at this part of the playbook. It's weird. You shouldn't limit someone's learning you got to adjust your approach. The Bengals sound limiting. They don't sound flexible at all. And then again, why hasn't Trey Wayne's been signed? It makes no sense to me. I don't understand. I want to be very clear. If Jill Burrow fails in Cincinnati, it will not be his fault. It will be the fault of the messy Bengals organization all around him. Okay, um... The NFL team in Washington is exploring a name change. And I love the idea. Their team is literally their team name is literally a racial slur. It's it's like, mm, that's uncomfortable. And uh, when I play Madden Franchise mode, I always pick Washington and then I immediately move the team so I can change the name. Either that or I replace them with a created team right off the bat. So I don't have to wait a year until the year expires and I can relocate them. But I actually keep the color scheme. I like the colors in Washington. I like their jerseys. But the name is bad. And I recently heard Tony Dungy, former Colts coach, now works for one of the sports networks, I think NBC. I saw in a video where he said, I'm only going to call them Washington. He's going to stop saying the team name. And I I like that. It's a good solution. I'm going to start using that. I'm going to steal that copy from Tony Dungy. And from now on, they're only, to me, the team in Washington. Until they change their name. Maybe it's going to be years. It could be, could be my entire lifetime. I'm willing to boycott the name and say they're the team in Washington. Rather than calling them Washington. Huh, huh. Now the name I think they should change to is the Red Tails. It's a great name. I've heard the Washington Warriors thrown around a little bit. Uh, it's alliterative, but it's kind of boring and I'm not interested in that. Red Tails is great. It honors the Tuskegee Airmen, which is a group of African-American fighter pilots who fought in World War II. And the nickname Red Tails came from the fact that they had red paint on their planes. That's so cool. And it's already ha- – the red part of the name is even kept. Red Tails. Red mm, – half of the name is already there. It's so cool to me. I love that. Now, there's a movie called Red Tails. It's from 2012. It was actually directed by Star Wars creator – George Lucas, never heard of it. I want to watch it now. I want to hear the story. I know the story from his school, but I want to watch the movie to really get it and refresh my memory. The movie has Cuba Gooding, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Terrence Howard, even got my favorite movie star. I don't know if he has a big role or not. He's kind of farther back in the casting credits. Got Michael B. Jordan in the movie. He's my favorite. I love, love, love watching Michael B. Jordan. And Red Tails is what I would do. The quarterback Dwayne Haskins even likes it, and I'm all in. Until they change the name, I'm just going to call them the team in Washington. Now, I want to read a tweet from Brett Coleman. He's a fellow football nerd. I love Brett. I want to get him on the show someday. He's really awesome. He tweeted this. Brett Coleman said, The whole team name situation is a great allegory for how stuff gets done in America. Millions of normal people constantly pointing out a very clear problem for years that they want addressed. Nothing happened. Corporate money threatens to back out. Immediate progress. Interesting. Brett makes a great point there. Corporate progress is why this is being changed. Not for any other reason. There's a good thread. Go read it on Twitter from Brett Coleman. But again, I, I want to go back to the, the main point here is I like the idea of the Washington Red Tails. That's awesome. I love that. It's, that's the name I want. I think it honors the past. I think it's really cool. And um, I, I love it. Dwayne Haskins likes it. I like it. There's even like some fake uniforms on the internet that are really, really cool. The Washington Red Tails. That is what I want their team name to be moving forward. Okay, guys. We're going to do Ask Zach. It's where we answer questions from the audience. Um, my, it's my favorite part of the show. What we do is you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You can give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to send in questions on Patreon. If you submit a a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show, but I do guarantee I look at every single question with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the podcast. Now, the first question of the day, I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to change the order. I'm going to read the question from With Your Eyeballs. He says, You now have a blessing and a curse. Oh boy, (laughs) you can shoot a drink out of each finger, but you're limited to five drinks. So the same drink from each thumb, same drink from each ring finger, uh, pointer finger, etc. And these are the only drinks you can have for the rest of your life. What are the drinks of choice that you choose? With your eyeballs, what the heck is this? (laughs) Why would you ask it this way? I I have no problem with it. I want to say, I'm going to give you style points. But couldn't you just said, what are the five drinks you'd pick to drink forever? What's the finger thing? Why do they got to come out of my fingers? That's just kind of creepy. <laughs> now, again, I'll play ball. I'll give you style points. The finger thing, albeit weird, did get make it more likely for your question to be read. Now, I read your questions all the time because you give me weird stuff like this. But I'll play ball. I my mean, first two drinks I want to say I would probably, if I had five drinks to choose from, and they're the only five drinks I could have for the rest of my life. Number one and two would be coffee and Mountain Dew. Probably shows my priorities because I got a lot of late nights, got a lot of early mornings. I need my caffeine. It's very important to me and how I operate. And uh, it's probably going to kill me someday. But hey, caffeine, coffee, Mountain Dew, need those two drinks. Number three is obvious. I need water. Need it to live. Not very controversial. Water, let's say it comes out of my thumb. It's very important. Now, number four would be cashew milk. Oh, here's another question. If my finger gets cut off, does it stop the spigot? Weird. I don't know. Now, cashew milk is what I would go with. I need milk in my life. If I'm going to have four or five drinks for the rest of my life, I need milk to be one of those five drinks. Now, I stay away from dairy. I don't do, I used to do 2% milk growing up. If you're going to have cow milk, 2%, in my opinion, is the best way to do it. Uh, I actually avoid cow milk, though, now completely. Um, I've tried other milks, oat milk is weird. Uh, coconut milk tastes too coconutty. Almond milk is weird. I feel bad for the little coconuts getting milked. That sounds, horrible. <laughs> it's a joke my dad made. It's terrible. He made that joke my entire childhood. Um, now the best milk in my opinion is cashew milk. It's phenomenal. You get creamy cashew. Uh, I get it from like every grocery store. It's so good and it's perfect. It's the best milk. Now my fifth drink, we have Mountain Dew coffee, water, cashew milk. Number five is white wine. I need some kind of alcohol. And I'm a wimp. I like like really light, sweet white wines. Uh, I mean, that's my go to white wine with pasta and a good movie. That's a great night to me. I love that kind of stuff. And I know I'm wimpy. I don't really care. Uh, Those are the five drinks I would choose if I had to choose five drinks for the rest of my life. Nicholas writes in. He says. How's covid where you live? Uh, I live in Washington state and there's a lot of fear. Um, We wear masks. We're required to wear masks all the time in public. It's literally a law here. By law, you got to wear a mask. And when you look at Washington state compared to the rest of the United States, statistically, we're okay. But, you know, like a 100 case increase. I read it this morning. I was like, oh, my gosh, another 100 cases in our area. And, you know, it's small in scale compared to the rest of the country. But I think here in this part of the country, we're very stressed about coronavirus. I think we're more stressed in this neck of the woods than other parts of the country. Uh, I I feel very stressed about it. The grocery store is very weird. People treat you like you have the bubonic plague. I mean, I guess literally we're in a global pandemic, but you get weird looks. People are very shifty. You dart around. A lot of avoidance going on in the grocery store. And I I hear that like in Georgia, they're just living life normally. So – my part of the country's been very very like we're like little like you ever seen a mouse running in the field and it's like oh, very skittish and scared we're like a bunch of mice hiding and avoiding each other um, Washington state is on edge and i think it's you know we were the first state in america to get coronavirus and uh, our worry levels very very high i know our numbers are lower than other parts of the country but you know there's just a, an intensity where everyone's on edge here and very very nervous about it um now, as an introvert, for me, it's great because I have an excuse to never leave my house again. And that's perfect. I don't want to leave. I'm happy being at home. It's perfect for me. Now, Landon writes in. He says, hi, Zach. What, in your opinion, makes an offensive coordinator great? I'm going to read that again because actually, if you're reading it on text, it completely does not match up with what I said. Landon writes in. He says, what's up, Zach? In your opinion, what makes an offensive coordinator great. Now there are a couple of things. Number one, you need to be able to adapt your system to your players. A lot of guys have great ideas. Well, good ideas, but you can't force it on your team. You can't force your ideas on your personnel and your roster. You got to be flexible. A good idea is useless. If your team can't execute it, you're like, we're going to run zone read all year. And your quarterback's a Lardo that can't run. That's a bad idea. It doesn't work. You got to shape your offense to fit the skill set of your players. And really, it takes a smart, creative mind who has the ability to think outside of the box. That's what you got to do mentally to be an offensive coordinator. Let go of your ego. Let go of your personal plans. And realize, hey, Wes Welker and Randy Moss are very different players. One is tall and fast. One is short and quick. And you wouldn't ask Randy Moss and Wes Welker to do the same things as a receiver because that doesn't make any sense. You build an offense around their skill set. And somebody in New England at some point in their career looked at what Wes Welker was doing, I believe on the Miami Dolphins, and said, in the right system, Wes Welker could catch 100 catches a year. And it worked. It. That's what happened. That person was a visionary. Now, also to be a good offensive coordinator— You need people skills. It's so important. It's something that isn't talked enough about in the world of coaching where you need to have a good relationship with the head coach. The head coach needs to trust your offensive coordinator needs to trust you. And you also need to have a good relationship with your players. The players need to trust you. And you got to love football. You have to love football. It's too much work. If you don't love football, there's just too much that goes into it behind the scenes For you to make it happen. And you got to take extreme ownership. On offense, everything is on you. You can't blame people. You got to solve stuff. If a guy's lined up wrong, that's on you. You didn't coach him well enough. If a coach under you, a quarterback coach, or the receivers coach screws up, that's also on you. Got to make sure your coaches are doing better. Everything on offense is on the offensive coordinator. And then you can't look down on your players. They're not pawns. They're people. And if you treat them like they're not people, you treat them like pawns in your grand scheme to win football games, it's going to leak out. Whether you say it or not, they're going to know, they're going to feel that vibe. And so you need to have a good football mind. But a lot of the required traits to be a good offensive coordinator are just people skills. People skills are incredibly, incredibly important to being an offensive coordinator. Obviously, you got to be smart, you got to think outside the box, be a creative offensive mind. But As much as that's important, equally or maybe more important, you got to be a guy who gets along with people and has good people skills. That's how you make it as an offensive coordinator in the game of football. Guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much. Uh, Remember that four years ago, my younger brother took his own life. I learned two really painful lessons. Number one, if you're struggling, go get help. Please go get help. Uh, Talk to a teacher, a counselor, etc. And if you have no one you can turn to, Call the Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255, and make sure the people in your life know you care about them. Tell them you love them, give them hugs, tell your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, tell the people in your life that you care about them, and if they're struggling, they can come talk to you guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. Hope you have a great day, and ba-dum-bum-bam, we are done.